and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm McLeod. <laughs> so for those just joining in, each week I select an anime series for Malcolm to watch and a number of episodes that best showcase that series' strength. And uh, last week's anime was Mass Effect Paragon Lost. Malcolm, how was it? Uh, I didn't like it. I wasn't a fan. Um, I, I don't know who it's for. It doesn't. It's not really great fan service. It's just... It kind of just exists. Uh, I, you know, the only thing that was good for was that uh, it reminded me that I'm like, oh yeah, Freddie Prince Jr., pretty good actor. Wish he was still doing stuff. But uh, other than that, you know, the wrong people kept dying and the the wrong people kept living. It's it wasn't for me. I, I hope it didn't diminish you and, and the listeners' enthusiasm for uh, for the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which you should all buy. And yeah, by the time this podcast is out, that game will be out. And uh, I highly recommend it, even though the movie was not good. Yeah, I agree with that. And joining us is friend of the show, Tyler Cronsilver of TLC Reviews. Uh, Tyler, what's up? Not too much. Uh, happy to be on this podcast with you guys. Uh, I'm super passionate about film and TV. I got a YouTube channel called TLC Reviews. Trying to look at the you know the latest movies. We look at some older stuff as well. And uh, I've actually had Jack on my show as well. Last time we were talking about the Zack Snyder cut coming out. Uh, we also talked WandaVision. And uh, feel free to check that out. TLC Reviews. R-V-I-E-W-S. So uh, when I was about 14, I got introduced to an anime called FMA, Full Metal Alchemist. Um, immediately, I was intrigued by the dark nature of the show and uh i don't know man like i just really enjoyed the story of these two brothers that are going through quite an incredible amount of adversity my other anime uh experience would be things like bleach uh like you said death i watched the whole thing i loved the premise of that show uh what else a younger anime called case closed yeah all shows i've never watched <laughs> it's so funny I'm, i look so bad because i'm like i've never watched any of these i'm supposed to just single one of them well i watched full metal alchemist never mind that's and uh, i mean those are a little bit those are some older ones well speaking of old we're talking about a series that i think is probably i think it's our old series we've covered so far uh we're talking loop on the third and uh mm. let's go back in time the all the rage just like james bond Lupin is quite the ladies man although just like james bond 1965 he didn't exactly treat women well back then. And like like Bond yeah. films, he's kind of a bad person in these stories. Not kind of. He straight up is a bad, bad person in a lot of these stories. How old is he yeah. supposed to be in this show? I'm guessing 20s, late 20s. I don't know, because now I'm now I'm like 30. So I, I associate, I'm not sure what characters are supposed to be now. I'm like, wait, are these characters younger than me or are they older than me? I'm like, no, I just want them to be to be what I am. So, well, no, of course. Like, you know, uh, I like recently Riverdale could do a five-year time jump is because, well, it doesn't matter. They're all in their late, so, like, who cares? Oh, Riverdale. Nice. Uh, so, 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 dear listeners, this is me, Jack, cutting in uh, from the present day. Anyway, some of our audio was corrupted, so this is, uh, Tyler is not featured in this backstory segment because Tyler has a life. He has things to do. So it's just going to be me and Malcolm talking about the backstory of Lupin the Third. So... Our story begins in 1905 when Maurice LeBlanc published The Arrest of Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin was one of the early incarnations of the gentleman thief archetype, and the character would go on to appear in 17 novels and 39 novelas written by LeBlanc. And there were also numerous films, television shows, and even video game adaptations of the character. Most notably, the video game Persona 5, because guess what? I love talking about video games on this podcast. <laughs> features many references to Arsène Lupin, with the main character's persona being named Arsène and featuring the gentleman thief Top Hat, as well as a kindly gentleman named LeBlanc as the main character's landlord, not to mention the main cast calling themselves the Phantom Thieves. That all sounds very Lupin to you, right, Malcolm? Yeah, no, it does. It definitely does. Like, I just know like the Netflix show. Uh, I didn't realize this character was like almost as big as... like. Sherlock Holmes in terms of just how many like things have been adapted based on these stories but I guess it is like a French thing we'll we'll get into that we'll get into the the Sherlock Holmes of it all but enough about Persona because the most long-lasting of Arsene Lupin riffs is Lupin the Third and this was created by Kazuhiko Kato in 1965 under the pen name Monkey Punch 
Lupin III was created to be, of course, the grandson of Arsene Lupin himself. And Monkey Punch was also inspired by the character of James Bond, with Lupin being quite the ladies' man, although just like James Bond in 1965, he didn't exactly treat women well back then and actually straight up assaulted them in some early stories. Um, The 60s, everyone. Malcolm, uh, have you watched early James Bond films? Oh, yeah, I've seen every Bond film. Oh, really? He is a fucking villain in those ones, isn't he? It's like the Connery ones. He's a You watch that, and he's a bad guy. Uh, yeah, no, I know that uh, the Sean Connery version is like a dirtbag. I mean, Sean Connery himself as a person is a dirtbag. So it's like it's not that much of a stretch. And I know like the way like Ian Fleming was writing James Bond back then. I mean, the, the first one's called like Octopussy. Like it's like... It, like it's, it's so interesting to see how James Bond is like, gone from like octopusy to like Spectre, and like there's like now like a coldness and a seriousness to it. Where there's like definitely some of these like Bond movies that are just like straight up parodies that are like on an Austin Powers level of absurdity. So it's yeah, I'm not surprised, and like I do like that like some of these older characters like Lupin, I guess, and Bond are updated with the times and can kind of move past the time periods that they are like in. Yeah. So, so Lupin, his on again, off again, love interest, Fujiko Mine was designed to be similar to a bond girl. And while Lupin's gunman, Daisuke Jigen was inspired by the actor, James Coburn, particularly his role in the magnificent seven and the samurai Goemon, who was also referenced in persona five, he was added to give an East Asian element to a series that was otherwise very Western. And finally, inspector Zanigata, he was created as a foil for Lupin to make them a human Tom and Jerry. Zenigata pops. We we love Zenigata. He is awesome. He's so great. So, Malcolm, what did the estate of Maurice LeBlanc think of this adaptation? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and this is me in the present time, uh, I've heard they did not like this. They did not, and they tried to sue. And Monkey Punch didn't even bother to ask permission from the estate since Japan wasn't even enforcing copyright law at the time. I just love that. I love that even in the 60s, Japan wasn't enforcing copyright law. So he could just do it. I, I, I love that so much. So by the time they got around to launching a legal action in Japan, the name was considered to have entered common use. So no luck. No luck whatsoever. However, Western releases of Lupin would refer to the character as Wolf, which is the English word for Lupin, or Rupon. And this is extra ironic. Just just like they just put a little R on there instead. It's, you know, anyways, it's extra ironic given that LeBlanc had an Arsene Lupin crossover with Sherlock Holmes in multiple stories. Although every story aside from the first referred to the character as Sherlock Holmes. It's so crazy. Like, I still don't fully understand copyright law because like, you know, for every like thing, like every like Night of the Living Dead that just somehow lapses into, um, the public domain or like uh, the works of like HP Lovecraft, you know, you get like Disney who like somehow finds a way to like continue the copyright of like, Oh, you know, Cinderella or like, you know, uh, Snow White. Like they somehow find a way to be like, no, we need to like keep, keep having our, like these characters rights, like on a, on a certain level. Like, so in 2012 with 70 years passing since LeBlanc's death, Arsène Lupin entered public domain in France with Western adaptations finally free to call Lupin Lupin. Uh, because obviously this, this version of the show we watched, Lupin's called Lupin, which is good. I don't like Lupin. I don't like Wolf. It's a real bummer because the studio, um, the Ghibli dub of uh, Castle of Cagliostro uses Wolf or Lupin, and I don't like that. It means I can't watch the dub. I gotta have Lupin be called Lupin. So... <laughs> <laughs> the original Monkey Punch manga of Lupin the Third ran from 1967 to 1969, and in 1971 it would get its first anime adaptation. It was originally directed by Masaki Osumi, who was then replaced by a little director named Heyo Miyazaki. Does Miyazaki sound familiar to you, Malcolm? Yeah, he definitely does. <laughs> I love how you said that so straight-laced. And, and Hisao Takahata, who would go on to create Studio Ghibli. So only two of the most important animators in Japan... Uh, worked on Lupin in the early run. And this adaptation of Lupin III was true to the manga's roots. It was the first animated program in Japan to target adult audiences and featured complex characters and storylines, although if you watch it now, it doesn't necessarily feel that way. The first episode is, Is Lupin Burning? And it established an episode formula that would be frequently repeated. It starts with Lupin and his crew facing off against a criminal organization more sinister than themselves, 
Fujiko gets captured and rescued by Lupin. Fujiko then betrays Lupin to obtain whatever the crew is looking for. And Zenigata attempts, or even sometimes succeeds, to capture Lupin only for Lupin to escape. Does that formula sound similar to what we watched? Yes. I mean, it's basically every procedural format that you could possibly imagine. I just like that Lupin is like, you know, he's that gentleman thief, right? He's like, he's the thief with a heart of gold. And they've made hundreds of episodes of the show. In fact, now that we're in the present, we can say something that we didn't know at the time, which is uh, Lupin the part si- Lupin the third part six is coming this fall in 2021, which I am so goddamn excited for. So anyways, upon Osumi's departure from the series in episode nine, Miyazaki and Takahata would tone down the darker elements of Lupin. Lupin was more upbeat and less of a dick. Jigen was more cheerful. Fujiki... Fujiko's eroticism was removed, and Goemon's strict samurai code of ethics was more played for laughs. And this first Lupin adaptation was a massive broadcast success, achieving record numbers, and was Monkey Punch's favorite adaptation of the series due to, the fa- due to its faithfulness to the manga. It would run for 23 episodes, and a sequel series titled Lupin the Third Part Two would run in 1977 and run for a few more episodes, which is 155 at that. In the meantime, two movies came out in 1978 and 1979, The Mystery of Mamo being the first, but it would be the second feature, The Castle of Cagliostro, that would become easily the most well-known Lupin movie. And that's for one simple reason, it was Heo Miyazaki's feature film debut as a director. So that's the thing. This series, it's so tied to the roots of like one of the greatest animators of, of our time. Not just Japanese animators, but animators, period. Yeah, no, it's kind of crazy that, like, this is sort of the launching point. But I guess, like, everyone starts somewhere, right? Yeah, and he started with a franchise. Though, regardless of classic now, it was actually somewhat controversial among Lupin fans when it came out due to its much gentler tone. In the time since its release, it's, of course, become one of the starting points for many Lupin fans, thanks to that Miyazaki touch. Uh, The first one, uh, Mystery of Mamo, is a very horny movie. In fact, the movie is really about um, Lupin and Fujiko's relationship, and uh, there's a ton of sex. Uh, but again, that's the contrast of Lupin, um, and we'll get into it even further. But I love that interesting thing. It's a series that can be for kids or for adults or for an in-between, which the adaptation we're talking about today is in that in-between mode. So Lupin the Third would get its third part in 1984, running for 50 episodes, but would end up going on a hiatus as a show for 28 years with the Fujiki... Fujiko Mine focused the woman called Fujiko Mine, finally ending the television draw in 2012. But there were still plenty of films and television specials that aired between that. Overall, as a franchise, there are 11 animated feature films, two live action films, six animated series, a live action spinoff about Inspector Zenigata, 27 animated television specials, five original video animations, two musicals, numerous musical su- CDs, and over 20 video games not to mention 35 volumes of manga that Monkey Punch wrote. So that brings us to Lupin the Third, Part 4, The Italian Adventure, which debuted in 2015 and ran for 26 episodes. The series was praised for how it unified all the various Lupin styles before, before it, which is why I chose to make this one the one to cover today. And I should note, The Woman Called Fujiko Mine would be a really fun show to cover because, my God, it is so absolutely filled with sex and violence. And I was very tempted to make that the one to cover, but I don't think it's a good starting point. I think you can appreciate it better if you know the tropes, if you understand the characters, and how the woman called Fujiko Mine subverts them or plays with them. I think if you see that as your first Lupin, you're going to be like, these characters suck, they're mean-spirited, they're, it's very dark, it's many things. So yeah, we we're starting with the Italian Adventure. Malcolm, do you, do you have any brief thoughts on The Italian Adventure before we move into it? Well, you're going to find out when we return right now. I think part four is a great starting point, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. As someone with, like, very limited knowledge of Lupin as, like, a character, and especially Lupin the Third, kind of being, like, an original character, if it's the grandson of, you know, of the original Thief. Uh, you know, I didn't know the world too much. Obviously, I saw the Omar Sai. Uh, the first episode of that show on Netflix. But that's super different, right? That one's like set in Paris. This is in Italy. You know, they're kind of different characters. And obviously, I, you know, I'm not too far into that viewing. 
but yeah, this one, I was just like, right off the bat, you kind of already get the dynamics and like Lupin and like, it's just super fun. Like, I want to say this show was like a ton of fun to watch. Like there was no point where I'm like bored. And there's been a few shows where we've covered on here where I'm just sitting there. I'm going like, when will this end? Like, I'm so bored. This one was not like that. It kind of reminded me, I mean, it's, it's a pretty obvious like comparison, but we also um, uh, covered a few weeks ago, uh, the great pretender. And I really enjoyed that. And maybe I just have a soft spot for like heist stuff, but this is just like that classic old school, like Michael Caine, Italian job, like heist stuff where it's like, everyone's kind of always like having a plan and they're always like kind of double crossing each other. And I really just enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. The show is fun. I think, you know, something like the woman called Fujiko Mine is obviously very mature and the way it portrays certain characters you you want something that goes down easier and this this version of lupon is super fun it's also kind of interesting because fujiko mine a lot of the actors got recast because funimation did this dub and then tms uh did um lupon the third part four and it's weird because one of the characters daisuke jigen in lupon the four part four his voice actor richard apgar actually voices zenigata in the woman called fujiko mine which kind of makes sense because that voice is better suited for the more dark and gritty style of that show. Oh, oh yeah. Right. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't use the current voice of the inspector for a darker version of this show at all. There's, it wouldn't work. So I, I, <laughs> I like that kind of Bond feel. I like the Bond feel where, like, you know, show cartoons where they recast voice actors for whatever reason, it can be jarring. But for Lupin, it actually makes a fair bit of sense given how so different some of these incarnations can be. Some of them are more on, you know, the Daniel Craig style. And, you know, this one we're watching is more Roger Moore, if you know it. I really like the introduction, the theme song with the jazz music. Oh, it's great. That, oh, that was phenomenal. And then I noticed as the – we're kind of jumping ahead here. Uh, I noticed as the episodes went on, they changed it. And I'm like, yeah, oh, it just – yeah, but it, it really set the tone for the show that I was going to watch in the first couple episodes. I feel you. I, I do prefer the, the first opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a absolutely. weird change. And I obviously, like, we watched, uh, we didn't watch these episodes in order, although, like, it was mm-hmm. pretty obvious the narrative flow and it wasn't, like, too jarring to, like, oh, no. we jumped ahead a couple episodes. Like, it, there seems to be a very, like, episodic element to what was going on. Obviously, there's some stuff that was, like, you know, kind of going, that's part of a larger arc, but it wasn't hard to pick up on it, uh, if you know what I mean. No. No, I mean, every episode had like an intro, then it had like an inciting incident, and then there was always a twist at the end. So it was pretty easy in terms of its narrative structure to understand. Yeah, it's, it's, and to be fair, I did pick the, the less serialized episodes. That, that was a deliberate choice. There is a serialized narrative in these t- next two Lupin series, basically. The uh, Lupin the Four Part Five is even more serialized than this. Um, it, it, it has like a recurring plot involving a, a Facebook tech bro. It's a fun show. It, I oh. think it actually has a str- stronger um, uh, meta narrative than, than this one. But again, this one, the characters are so fun. I mean, you have James Bond and uh, let's talk about kind of the lead, the lead exclusive character to this series, which is uh, Rebecca Rosalini, who, who's Lupin's wife. Yeah, well, the first episode starts with the marriage between Rebecca Rosalini and uh, Lupin. And I guess like, what they imply is that Rebecca is someone who's like, she's been a model since 16 and like, she's been with all these famous like politicians and businessmen. Um, and then they each, I, I kind of find it hilarious that like she at one point after the Lupin and her get married, I'm jumping a little ahead, but she's like, Oh, I have 55 houses. And it was all bought by yeah. all these guys. Um, each one having a buyer a house. And I'm just like, you know, I'm like, that's such a nightmare of having 55 houses. Like, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of like, that's a lot of taxes you got to pay. And like, but I mean, if they're all gifts, right, I'm assuming they all like pay for her to like keep those houses. Although she is supposed to be world famous and maybe a billionaire. She's definitely a billionaire. Uh, she, she's an heiress. And, you know, she's not doing her taxes. She's got someone to do that. Of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Again, this, this show is fun. So so the very first thing we open up on is Zenigata, who who, who I, I guess we're, we're jumping ahead. I think we've already spoiled who our speed wagon is for this round. But Zenigata, my God, he's so he is so fun, guys. And yeah, he gets he, to be the first character favorite. we see. He's my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Who's the voice pretty... actor? Who's the voice actor? His name is Doug Erholtz. And uh, Malcolm, you'll know, you'll recognize this. He was the voice of uh, one of our favorite JoJo characters when we did JoJo the last time. 
Uh, he voiced uh, Polnareff, the uh, the kind of cocky character on that show. Oh, okay. So, so Doug Erholtz, I think he's turning into an Is This Anime Pod MVP because I, I love his voice performances. It's hilarious. He reminds me of John Benjamin. He's got that, you know, job, John Benjamin from like Archer or Bob's Burgers. He's kind of got, he's like the anime version of that guy. I completely yeah, that hear that. Make, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, it's like, because like H. John Benjamin is like, he shouldn't be as successful in like voiceover stuff because he like, his voice is so unique that it's like, oh, you can't like do a bunch of different voices. Like you do your own voice and that's about it. But then, yeah, like it doesn't matter if he's on whatever show he's on, whether it's like, yeah, Archer or Bob's Burgers or like home movies or whatnot. It's just so perfect that you're like, well, I guess we'll, um, I guess why he's my favorite. So yeah, that's I I like that uh, comparison. Yeah, totally. And yeah, so Zenigata, he's got this. No, he's got this mysterious invitation invitation to uh, the wedding of Lupin. Lupin, he's married this woman, Rebecca Rosalini. His crew are not happy about this. And uh, Malcolm, what was it like, Mal- Malcolm and Tyler? What was it like just like seeing that like dinner table of just again? You have Daisuke Jigen. Who's, you know, a dude in a hat where, you know, he's a gunman, he wears a suit. Fujiko Mine, of course, you know, beautiful woman. And then a samurai in just like a black suit. I love how I, lo- I love how Goemon wears like black to, to the wedding. So I'll be I'll be honest, I actually didn't even notice the samurai until what was it, the fourth episode? Or no, oh, the really? tenth episode. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even notice. He wears a special wedding suit, which I find hilarious. Oh, I didn't realize, uh, yeah, there was a samurai until later on. I, I didn't realize that. I, I think I just have to rewatch it. But I was like, oh, that's yes, got to yeah. be his, like, crew. That was, like, the only thinking. I'm like, oh, the crew's, like, begrudgingly going to this wedding, which is kind of true. But it's uh, it was funny that they were just, like, staring at him. <laughs> at the same time, his new wife-to-be is like, I want fries. And, like, that piano, you know, woman needs to go. She's annoying me. And you're just like, oh, what a bridezilla, which is something Lupin then makes uh, reference to later on. Oh, man. And, yeah, turns out, of course, the marriage is a sham. And, you know. Lupin, he, he does he does want to hook up with her. I love how, you know, he, he wants to hook up, up with her. He he jumps straight out of his clothes. And then, of course, the butler interrupts everything. And it's like, Lupin can't even get the one thing he wanted out of the sham marriage. Yeah, no, it's just like, oh, because she's there just for, well, we'll jump ahead. But she was there just for thrill-seeking purposes, which is kind of wild. She's awesome. And I love, like, w- when you get, like, her little backstory, she's she's done all these things. She's been, like, a singer. She, you, you see in the background in, like, her mansion, she's, like, shoot, she's like sh- shooting with a shotgun or something on, like, a video screen. Uh, she's doing gymnastics. She she has done literally everything in her life. Well, what's kind yeah, of funny did. is that in, in some ways she's, like, a perfect, kind of a perfect companion for Lupin. And because they both are, like, very outgoing, adventurous people. Although Lupin's very much dedicated to the heart, art of the heist, he's all about the art of the heist. For sure, yeah, you make a good you you make a good point there. Yeah, they're 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 very similar, and I think that's why they don't work. If that makes any sense, because they both want the same thing, but they're not willing to give up uh, anything for the other. Well, the thing is, is later on, like there, it's very clear, like she won't sign the divorce papers. And that's why I was always yeah. thinking, I'm like, oh, maybe she actually does kind of lie. I mean, obviously, I only saw these four episodes we covered, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, maybe the, the reason why she won't sign them is because they, she actually secretly really does like Lupin and that he's the probably the uh, out of all the politicians and businessmen she's been with, that he's easily the most interesting person. It's kind of like Batman and the Joker in The Dark Knight. Without the Joker, there's no Batman. Without Batman, there's no Joker. And with Lupin, Rebecca has finally figured out what she wants to do. She just wants to be a thief. This is this is her new uh, thing, basically. And I love that. We're we're jumping ahead, but but to be fair, we got four episodes to cover, so maybe we'll we'll speed through this after all the Bond talk. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. So so we find out the big thing that they have to steal is, uh, which again is really weird because it's a crown that they were already going to get. Basically, like it's a it's given to a woman to wear on the day of their wedding. So that was already what Rebecca and Lupin were basically going to get. But of course, mm. they decide to make this thing so much more complicated than it needs to be. Fujiko, sh- she's trying to steal the crown too. Also, she's obviously pretty hurt about Lupin uh, marrying Rebecca, whether it's a sham or not. She 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 doesn't like the fact that Lupin pulled that shit on her. Fujiko's great, so she gets Fujiko gets captured. Lupin's forced to surrender the crown in exchange for her release. 
And then um, Zenigata, he has this assistant named Patrick, basically, uh, who's like one of the crown guards. And then it turns out, turns out, of course, Rebecca was Patrick all along. I love I, that, man. I love how people can just disguise their voices. <laughs> they can just put on. No, for me, I, I what I love is that this is that's a recurring theme of just like, OK, so they'll just like some random person will show up and they will already have like, a lifelike mask and like voice modulator that'll make them like a perfect match. Like they're constantly in a game of playing face off, but without taking each other's faces off. Right. They're, they're Casper Troy and agent uh, John Travolta or whatever the hell his name was. It's no Casper Troy, but uh, you know, I, so I I love that. Like, especially because it was just like, it happens so often, like in half these episodes, at least. It happens twice in this episode alone. Yeah. (laughs) Gico does it and then Rebecca does it. Oh, does it? Uh, yeah, he does. He does. In the last episode, where he's uh, the priest, he's trying oh, to get yeah. out of prison. Yeah. So they, it's the type of thing where it could be stupid, but it's done so often that you're just like, okay, this is just the reality. I just want to meet the guy who makes the masks. I'm like, how does he do his job? Like, how do they like? I would love to see an episode where it's just like that guy uh, because it's like, yeah, doesn't it take into account like people are different heights, they have different physiques. It's like. Like for me, it's funny you mentioned earlier, Tyler. You're five eight. I'm six five, so I'm like I can't like Which? just immediately. Uh, I'm six five. I can't dunk, and um, and like I couldn't disguise myself as many people. <laughs> like I'm like I'm kind of yeah. That's true. So yeah, it turns out Rebecca was the mastermind behind the plot all along, and I love how she 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 jumps off this like castle building and you're like okay that's a pretty far height but no it's like ridiculous to the point where they're like they're in the clouds the air's got to be real thin up there at that point when they jumped oh man but she like manages to uh uh land in her like because earlier she teased this like airplane she had created for some reason she just like has this airplane and so yeah she manages to like call it and lands in it and then lupon just essentially just has to fall and luckily, obviously, he doesn't die. I think he lands on a couple of branches, branches, uh, and then like I think the the sack with the like decoy crown hits his head, which I kind of like. I like that there are these moments within all of this where it's like super cartoonish, like it is like Tom and Jerry like in the cartoony element to it, like him falling and then the bag hitting his head, and then you can hear like the pop, you know, like the mallet sound, and like oh, there's like a little goose goose egg on his head, and like it happens in the fourth episode with uh, Pops and like he constantly is like hitting his like hand on a rock and then you can see his like whole arm get real swell up from the pain. and Oh yeah. I like those moments. I was like, oh, they're they're, like, they're going to have these comedic moments that are like kind of out of place, but I guess it is a mixing of the styles as Jack, you were mentioning before. Yeah. Yeah, Now, now that you, now that you say Tom and Jerry, I definitely see those similarities. Yeah. So we, uh, Fujiko, she, she manages to corner Lupin uh, after this whole thing. And then Lupin has this line where he's like, Oh, I should have signed divorce papers before she left. (laughs) Oh, Lupin, he he can't get a break with uh, Rebecca. Also, also I do want to highlight the voice actress for uh, Rebecca. It's uh, Cassandra Lee Morris, who, also voices uh, the cat Morgana in Persona 5, because I'm bringing this back to Persona. I mean, it's that whole kind of anime crew that that kind of does all those video games and anime. So. so you know that YouTube series Watch Mojo? I'm sure you've seen them. They do like the listicle videos uh, yeah, and everything. Them. I'm almost positive that one of the female voices is one of the voice actresses in this show. I, I, I'm not completely positive, but about 80% sure. <laughs> I could see that. I know that is made in Toronto. And, like, Toronto obviously ha- is a big hub for, like, actors in Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's easily that, you know, she probably has representation and is probably doing voice stuff for other people other than just watchmojo.com. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I just thought it was pretty cool. So so our third episode was – oh, and, and the other thing, too, is this episode ends with, like, a little teaser for a mysterious man in a suit, which, which makes it really uh, lead really well for the third episode because we get to see that guy – and it is, of course, um, a person who is totally not James Bond, uh, Agent Nix, uh, a guy who who works for MI6 and uh, has a license to kill, but is definitely not James Bond. They should have just called him Craig uh, Daniel. That's what they should have done. Agent uh, Nix is fine, but Craig Daniel, like that's would have been that's just there. Someone who's doing a parody of James Bond, it's right there. All right, it's the grapevine. I'm giving you the little dangle. All right. It's a fun name. So I was really <laughs> tempted to to give us a Jigen episode. I feel like Jigen 
Jigen gets a bit of a short shrift in, in these ones. But I had to go with the James Bond episode because, like I say, like so much of Lupin is inspired by James Bond. So, of course, the idea of them doing Lupin versus James Bond is such an appealing idea. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, it, like especially it is like such an inspiration. And like, I like this version of this James Bond where it's like he's kind of um, robotic. Like he's got this thing where he keeps going like, there's a hundred percent chance, like I've got this, or it's like ninety nine point eight percent chance I've got this, and like, and just like he's like so precise, but then he keeps fucking up along the way. <laughs> like Lupin is just like, oh, I, you're so generous. You gave me like point two percent. Like that's all I needed. <laughs> he's a fun character. He's he's a recurring character in um, the Italian Adventure, and I, I also like another aspect of his character. I think you briefly see it in another episode that we watched. Uh, where he's also like a doting father, which again, oh. this, this is like, you know, it's post, it's, it's, it's James Bond after, you know, after a couple of years. Yeah, mm. it's James Bond if his love interest in Casino Royale didn't die. Honestly, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 spoiler alert. That's a good movie. Casino yeah. Royale is my favorite yeah, Bond. Spoiler alert for something that came out 15 years ago. I've, I've seen oh, that movie so phenomenal. many times. Too. Yeah, it's an amazing no, it's movie. Martin Campbell directed, has, in my opinion, has directed two of the best Bond films ever, which is like he directed GoldenEye and Casino Royale. I'm, I'm only familiar that. with Once the GoldenEye again. video game. And then his career ended because he directed that horrible Green Lantern. Movie. Oh, no. <laughs> All he did was kill oh. Ryan Reynolds' career for a good couple of years. Yeah. But he found uh, to, uh, to keep... Uh, Watiti. Oh yeah, Taika Watiti is in Green Lantern, which is fucking weird. He's in actually a lot of those movies. Looking back on it, yeah, he's he's in a lot of just random shit before he became an Oscar-winning blockbuster director. Doesn't he play uh, Korg in uh, Ragnarok? Yeah, he's in Ragnarok. He's playing the villain in the Suicide Squad. Uh, uh, Mod spoiler. Mod spoiler. I guess. I'm sure the trailer will reveal that by then. Anyways, uh, let's talk about the episode. (laughs) Um, So yeah, this is Lupin versus James Bond. And he, of course, announces he's going to steal a precious diamond from the Prince of England. And he's Prince of England, of course, because Rebecca has so many people, uh, so many men in her life. He's paying a visit to her. It's another one of her gentleman callers. The Prince of England. Oh, man. He's a wuss in this. He's not just a wuss. He's also a cuck, but... (laughs) <laughs> they're like they're, the idea seems to be like what if prince harry was a cock like that's the character are you talking about wrong? that blonde guy with the really high-pitched yeah, voice the, 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 yeah, yeah him. oh i did not like him at all <laughs> he gets wasted pretty fast though because he's a cock <laughs> yes exactly you could tell everyone wanted him to go anyway so they get rid of him pretty fast so nix does a number on jegan uh he captures jegan's tri- we we get to see Jigen without his hat. That's like that's a big deal. When Jigen doesn't have his hat, that's a big deal, guys. Yeah, we see his long flowing hair instead. Do you guys have any Jigen thoughts? Because I feel he gets the short shrift, man. I feel bad for Jigen for the way I selected the episodes. I mean, he's just a mm. side character. Like like obviously having not seen any of the other episodes. Yeah, I don't really know his deal. Like he's not uh, the most interesting player that we're encountering. But I'm sure he gets like standalone episodes uh, that really explore what he's all about. He's For just sure. like right now as the as presented by your selection, Jack. I feel he's just sort of like, oh yeah, he's just another guy who's part of the crew. Yeah, there there are Jigen movies. There are there are definitely uh, things where Jigen gets a spotlight. Like I said, I I had I had to, folks. I had to pick the James Bond episode over the over the Jigen one. It was too good. So yeah, what do you think of this confrontation with Lupin facing off against Bond? It's hilarious. Like this yeah. was like very fun. Like I said earlier, it was like I loved like the James like Agent Nix going uh, like a ninety nine percent success or a hundred percent success or like uh, when he like confronts Lupin just before like Lupin's like distraction with the firecrackers and the prince uh, goes off and like he has to run away. Oh He's god, like, that's so good. You're gonna, I guess you're gonna die another day. I was like, I clapped. I was like, thank. I can't believe you guys pulled this off. Like, what a what a name drop for that movie. Because that movie is so bad. <laughs> so, like, oh, my God. Oh, it's pathetic. That was the first James Bond movie I ever saw, though. So I thought it was great really? back then. I mean, Halle yeah. Berry is beautiful in that movie. Um, yeah. uh, she, that I movie is no, I don't, is she in Die Another He's Day? He's in that one. Yeah, Die Another Day is the one with North Korea. Yeah, yeah. That one, because uh, I was remembering. Because I saw that movie... Uh, in theaters with my dad because my dad was a huge James Bond fan and he uh, left angry. Um, but I just remember, yeah, the surfing into North Korea scene, which of just like the balls to 
to put that on film. I'm just like, God, I wish, oh. like, I just can't believe that happened. Also, didn't like the 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 North Korean leader like become a white guy? Wasn't that like the twist that he like face shifted or something? I swear that's what happens. Yeah, because there's like the ice hotel in Iceland, and he like again. This is like another one where people change their faces, and in this in this case, they're like, "Well, I guess that Asian guy's gonna become white," <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, I'm, I'm sure this, that movie is like aged terribly." Like, oh man, oh, well, and then Madonna singing the song, and you're like, "That's the artist you're picking." And yet, people had the balls to say that Craig's Bond movies would be bad, and uh, look, yeah, they did just because he was blonde and blue eyed. <laughs> Bond and blue eyed, yeah. Like, Pierce Brosnan, I feel bad for because he, he he had the perfect look for Bond, and he is like a good actor. He's appeared in, like, he's got good acting in many good movies, but he just came he came in at the wrong time. Well, he did Goldeneye. He got he got to do Goldeneye. I I have a soft spot for that, and not just because I like it's like the first video game I ever played, but just because I I just enjoy that movie. And Sean Bean's really good in that, and like Alan Cummings in it, and like. You know, uh, oh, wow. Famke uh, Jansen's Jansen. also in it. Yeah, she's great. She's the Bond girl, I think. And yeah, like that one was just fun. But yeah, I don't think they really knew what to do. They were trying to, in a lot of ways, mix between the like Roger Moore stuff with that, well, also trying to take steps towards being serious. So they were like, I think it was just totally off. And then uh, now with Daniel Craig, it's like all serious. Even though Daniel Craig is probably also the legit funniest actor to play bond he's a funny dude um final final thoughts on this lupon episode before we move forward which episode are we on now <laughs> uh, we're, we were talking we're talking about the bond one or was that a joke uh, i've just fucked it up no no i'm being serious uh, yeah final final thoughts on lupon versus bond it was fun it was yeah. like i said it was it was a, it's a fun episode i like uh like the twists and turns and like you know, loop on with the firecrackers. I mean, really, like uh, that was like the end goal of really making the prince a cuck because he gets scared and he's like crying when all the firecrackers are going off. All right, m- moving on to to the episode called Requiem for Assassins, and yeah, this is the Goemon focused episode. I love this episode. Very, very different from what we for the other episodes, but really good. Yeah, well, mm. it features right off the bat my dream death, which is to be sniped <laughs> on a yacht. <laughs> You don't see it coming. You're on a yacht, and then it's like you're dead. So that's if I had to go in a violent way, that's that's well, that's probably my dream. So, so this episode is all about Goemon's relationship with this uh, young assassin named Isabella, and they're basically kind of trying to figure out who this who this killer of their crew is, uh, because there's this legendary sniper named Zora. Isabella uh, kind of shows up on Goemon's doorstep and says, you know, Zora is back, and they've got to do something about it. I, like, I guess I like one the thing flashback. I real. I realized watching this is that I'm a, a real sucker for like snipers in films and like in thrillers. Like I realized I was like, I was really sucked into that. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Like snipers are terrifying. Hey, this is like a subgenre that I wish was explored more just as like in entertainment. A lot of like the board movies. And I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess- obviously Jamie's Bond, but mostly born actually. Yeah. Born. Yeah. The born movies. Uh, there's a, a phone booth was another yeah. one that I really enjoyed. Uh, phone booth with Colin Farrell. So yeah, I mean this one yeah was great. Them like all the like the deaths where it's like you saw that one guy and he's like, got the voiceover right at the beginning, and then you see the bullet come near him, and then it's just like oh he's dead. Like that voiceover is over like before it starts. Yeah, man. There's a lot of fun characters in this one. Uh, I forgot the name of it, but there's like one guy who like won't shut up, and he's got like that big kind of jaw. Oh, I forgot his name. I forgot yeah, his name, but he too. was a fun one, and he I doesn't w- make it though. I will say that I don't, yeah, the character names that for me in this show, like outside of like the credits with all the main characters where I was like, oh, now I can actually like really pinpoint who's who. Yeah, like I don't know a lot of the side characters. Well, it's hard to get those names in four episodes too, right? But yeah, you know, so I like this, like there's like that long back scene where they're like, there's the snipers there and they have to close all the windows because they could get sniped at any point. And then it's like in the desert, and I like I was like, oh man, like snipe, being sniped in the desert, like that's like it's kind of a perfect place to hide if you're like mm-hmm. on the run from someone like that because it's hard for them to to snipe you because it's like you're it's all in theory open. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it is. No, that was one of the better yeah. scenes in that episode. Yeah, yeah. and then I also liked uh, there was like one character I forget his name. He kind of like a big like. I was like Bucktooth, but he sounded like uh, that's the guy I'm talking like, about. That's oh, the guy. I'm oh yeah, like he sounds like the voice actor made it sound like uh, John Travolta, like in the eighties. Oh. 
Yes. Like it was just it was just like this weird John Travolta voice. You're like, oh, is this that like was odd? Grease, like Grease John Travolta, or like whatever the hell he was doing. <laughs> yeah, he 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 doesn't make it. No, uh, so yeah, this episode is all about the relationship with with Goemon and Isabella. Um, because yeah, Goemon knew her when uh, she was younger, and he has this whole thing about the pinky swear. He's always telling her he pinky he pinky swears uh, that he'll protect her. That was hilarious. That really made me laugh. Um, I like how they said like, yeah, this is like how we do it in Japan. But the way he says it, I just thought like the delivery of that dialogue, how we do it in Japan, it made me laugh. I don't know. Immature he me. He plays it very straight. He plays it very straight, even though it is very silly. But uh, yeah, it I was, think it works. It was silly. Yeah. It works it's for like the a tone, sincere though. moment. It's a sincere moment that's like pretty absurd. Yeah, I mean, you know, so they're they're going around, they're being like targeted by a sniper. There's also like this plot line with like a politician that I was a little confused by, where it was just like yeah. this politician who's like, I'm gonna make sure I'm not in bed with all the like all the corrupt politicians that are with like the criminals, which I mean in allegorically you can just like replace criminal with corporation, <laughs> but uh uh, I do mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I mean, this one episode goes by pretty quickly. Like we, I feel like we're covering most of it where, so the big twist of this episode is that uh, it turns out the the woman, what's her name again? Isabella. Eladonna. Yeah, Isabella. Oh yeah. Isabella um, is the actual sniper and mm-hmm. she's been taking out other members of the crew because she's been secretly working for the, um, for that politician and that politician wanted all these assassins gone. Cause I guess that politician had, uh, had these other people assassinated, had someone assassinated at one point and was maybe in charge of it. I was very confused by it. The whole Thought politician, the, uh... plot, I, I didn't really get, I understood like Isabella's role in it, but I didn't quite get what the politician himself wanted. That whole revelation was kind of hard to understand. I didn't feel it was explained very well. I def, I definitely did predict that Isabella was, was the killer because it was just pretty obvious. Is it Isabella or is it Belladonna? Is because I wrote down uh, Belladonna. It says Isabella on Wikipedia, so I'm saying Isabella. I mean, okay. Bella makes sense if it's both. So it probably maybe yeah, true. Belladonna, but then it's like maybe it's interchangeable. Belladonna. It's probably interchangeable. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it's Isabella Belladonna because the show loves its loves its names. So I what I I really liked was how creepy that reveal of like actual the old sniper and like he's in a wheelchair and he's got the dusty sniper in this like random house in that, you know, um, Belladonna or Isabella, however you want to call her, you know, she's like basically goes and like, is going to kill uh, the samurai dude. And then, but he's been able to like talk her out of it. Cause it like, turns out she thinks that politician actually cared about her, even though there's like a scene where like that politician, like essentially sexually assaults her, uh, like gropes her and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, Oh, she's not like, like that guy doesn't care about her. Like it's, and then she call he calls her a doll, and that you're gonna be my doll. And I'm like, oh, this is so creepy. And it, yeah, that was gross. It's the samurai dude who's like the actual one who like will take care of her. Like he like you know kind of risked his life to be you know to solve the sniping because he cares about her because of that pinky swear. And that's like, oh, I really like that kind of heartwarming thing where he's like, oh, I just here because I'm a good guy. And I want to make sure you get the best, even if you think your, you know, your allegiances are elsewhere. It's like my allegiances are still to you, so you're gonna to have to betray me, but I'm not gonna betray you. It's a good moral compass. I also like the way, you know, I like how Goemon can just use his sword to do anything because the whole thing is like Belladonna. She has like a bomb implanted in her, and so the whole thing is like the politician will basically kill her if if uh, Goemon uh, fucks him up, and so <laughs> Goemon basically uses his sword to push the bomb out out of her like shoulder or something somehow she survives <laughs> the, the power the power of steel which is something that will come out uh, is in the next episode is how important oh. steel was <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no kidding yeah <laughs> isabella she does survive but then she disappears but then going on he reunites with uh the crew and they see a young boy who, who's who's trying He's trying to mess with them, uh, but then he tells them about the power of the pinky swear, and Goemon is like, oh, I see I see what's going on. Well, he heard it from uh, Isabella. Exactly. That's the whole thing. He's yeah. like, oh, okay, I get yeah. it. This next uh, final thoughts on this one before we move on to my favorite episode of the bunch. I Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, this was a really enjoyable episode. Like I said, I'm a sniper for uh, 
Wait, I'm a sucker, not a sniper. Wow, I'm having like a weird day. Right now I'm having a weird day. I'm saying weird things. I'm getting things wrong. Um, I'm a real sucker for snipers and things. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was a really good episode. It was very action-packed from like, just like Malcolm said, the I'm a, I'm a sucker for the, like the sniper content as well. And uh, it definitely wasn't a boring episode. It moves away. It moves at a brisk pace. Yeah, like I said, I, I want to showcase Goemon. I, you guys didn't even recognize Goemon in the previous, in like the very first episode. So I wanted <laughs> to give him a showcase. I, I know G-Gun got uh, suckered, or not suckered, but uh, given the short shrift. But I think Goemon, when, when there's a good solo Goemon episode, they're really good. So yeah, th- this next one though, this is an, this is this is all about the relationship between Inspector Zenigata and Lupin. And I'm really glad I did my uh, research of watching old school Lupin because this episode is basically a remake of episode four of the first series. Uh, they they have pretty much identical premises. Um, there are changes between them, but it's very much I it, it's very much a remake. I would say. Yeah, this one's probably my favorite too. Like I just love the dynamic. I love like how clever the ending is. Um, I love like the revelations pops have in this as well, where you realize where you kind of realize, or he realizes that like, so what's really keeping him going like for his career and for him as a person is like the chase between like capturing Lupin. Like it's no fun when Lupin's actually in prison. It's more fun to be like a step behind him. Yeah, no, he goes insane. <laughs> he goes insane in this episode. Poor guy. I was going to say, I like how they showed his constant attempts and how he made these attempts. And each attempt was completely different and how he was trying to escape. I thought that was really cool because it showed how he was thinking. And they all built up. Like each one hmm. is a build up to the next thing. Like it's, it's every single one. Yeah, is this build up? Because like, the ending of this episode is like the best of all the episodes we watch in terms of how, like the reveal and how it all played out. And like even I like di- I didn't expect how like the ending like. And even though it's like kind of yeah. obvious on some levels, I'm just like, God damn! Like I I love that in a heist thing where it's like where it's like in theory it's very simple, but then it's like the reveal is kind of complex. Is that plausible though? Is it plausible? Probably not. Like based on no. like yeah. drawing and stuff. Like I mean, I, don't, I mean, like, given that like Lupin draws himself in a prison cell. Yeah, I know. Like, I was like, but it, it was cool. It was cool. It, it was fun. Um, th- so this episode is called "The End of Lupin the Third, and it's very much uh, again, it's all about Zenigata just kind of coming to terms about what's most important in his life, and that is Lupin catching lupon and i love his desperation like he's got like all his guys watching lupon's crew oh yeah because he doesn't know when they're gonna try to jump in and save him and he keeps expecting it that's the advantage lupon has is that he's always like oh there's always gonna be a surprise with him right so it's like at any moment anything can happen and i I love the build-up of like it starts off with like going from like a popular prison to like he's the only person in this prison to like, oh, this now he's got to like, he asks, like, put me in a steel, you know, put me in a steel cell. And then they're like, sure, we'll put him in the steel and uh, tungsten, which I'm like, oh, man. And anytime you can reference tungsten, I'm all I'm game for that. I recently just watched a YouTube video where uh, from Will Osmond. I don't know if any of you have seen Will Osmond as a YouTuber, but he does like stupid science experiments. And he was uh, this video was him just uh, dropping like a, a tungsten cube onto different things and like. Tungsten's like a very heavy metal. It's like a very deceiving how heavy it is. And it was fun. And I'm like, oh man, a fully tungsten cell, it would be almost impossible to break out. Of. This is, you know, we, we talked a lot about Bond, but this, that's this is the science I'm talk now. I love when like Zenigata is literally like smashing his head against a boulder in his frustration of all this. Like how you guys mentioned the Tom and Jerry kind of effect. That was fantastic. He's a great character. I want to, I didn't get the time to watch the live action Zenigata spinoff, which just sounds amazing. Oh, I was going to say, I like that. Like, so by the end, they transfer Lupin to like his own cell, like on this island. Uh, and I like that, like, because of, like, how paranoid Pops is, that he basically is, like, sleeping in a tent on the island to make sure that Lupin doesn't escape. It's yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah. But he gave him his own personal Alcatraz. So it's, like, I, you know, so that's all fun. I like the progression where it starts off, like, you know, Lupin trying to escape through the, like, you know, the air duct and, you know, Pops is there. And then he, like, rips off the camera 
and like the guy comes in and like he's gonna hold him hostage but like or like switch his face or whatever do the disguise thing but oh no pops is right there too and then like the priest shows up and it's like oh guess what uh it's uh pops is there to take off the mask and but all at the same time i guess lupin keeps having like demands he's like this is not very interesting like being like this is too easy and then for whatever reason pops acquiesces to his demands he's like he asked for steel so i guess we're gonna give him a steel cage and it's like no like you don't have to do that because <laughs> obviously part of his plan <laughs> zenny gata is such a fun character um of course you know when, when lupon and zenny gata have to like like in the in the most recent movie lupon the third the first it's like it's lupon versus the third reich it's them like fighting against like mm. people trying to revive the third reich and so, of course, him and Zenigata team up, but then it always ends with Zenigata finally trying to get him, and they run away. It, they course. are Tom and Jerry, man. That's just what they are. And then what I think is kind of uh, funny, too, is that I didn't expect how dark it was when Lupin's like, I not eat anymore, and I'm going to die. Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, holy shit. Like, that'd be, that's such a dark way to go. Like, he's going to starve to death. Yeah, that'd probably be, like, one of the worst ways to go, because... I absolutely love food. I can't imagine starving myself. What, what, the body what was Lupin eating? So, so what was the reveal? I missed that part of like, how was, how was Lupin actually not wasting away? Oh, I was going to say, it seemed like what he was doing was he was eating like small bits of the food, like each food he was getting. He was like doing a mixture of like the colors which were used for like making the painting, but then he would also eat certain leftovers, but like not enough so that he would think that like, I guess uh, Pops would think like, oh, he's not eating at all. Like it was just like, it's again, it's one of those uh, deceptions. And I think at a certain point he must have been drawing the food as well. Because although there's like a smell, they comment on the smell. So so that's ultimately the way that uh, Lupin gets out. Uh, because basically Zenigata, he thinks Lupin is dead. But it turns out uh, it was an optical illusion because Lupin had, had drawn uh, his corpse on the cell. Yeah, because yeah. there's like this thing where like, Pops is like, oh, I have to see with my own two eyes. Like, I won't trust, like, I won't trust the video cam footage. I won't trust it. And yeah, it was, it was an optical illusion. I didn't see it coming. I mean, it is so ridiculous, but then of course, I just love it because then he got a, you, you know, when he found, finds out that, uh, that Lupin uh, swindled him, he, he's pretty happy about it by the end. He's, he, he like kind of screeches, but it's, it's one of almost pride. Yeah. And I like that uh, Lupin locks uh pops into his uh into the, like the cell yeah My question is, how did he get off the island i assume that there was he's got boat. guys he's got guys yeah he's gotta have guys um, he also has like those grappling hook things too so he can like kind of fly with those i don't know <laughs> oh yeah that's something we haven't talked about like he yeah has grappling he's basically got the spider webs but like the real version yeah of- the the very end of this episode though is is where we get into serialized territory, which I guess you guys will miss out. But we see just a naked man on a cliff, and uh, that does get explained in in future Lupin, uh, the third part four episodes. But I'm not going to spoil it for a for the dear listener because it is it is very wacky. Yeah, yeah well, I gotta admit, like for a great episode, it really ended on a really fucked up note. It was <laughs> like, um, what? I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys uh, off the record, off the pod. I don't want to spoil it for the listener in case they want it because it is like it is it is a weird ass reveal <laughs> of what that whole yeah. thing means. So I think I think we gotta move on to our favorite segment, even though we already know the answer. So who is the Robert E.O. Speedwagon of this episode? Speedwagon, 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 Speedwagon. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. We've already basically answered it. I don't think any listeners are going to find it difficult to predict. Um, but let's go ahead one at a time. For me, it is obvious. Uh, Inspector Zenigata is the Speedwagon of this episode. He's, he's the best. He's such a fun character. Uh, Doug Airholtz does a great job with him. Um, yeah, I I love him. Maybe maybe we should cover the live actions in Egata series eventually at some point. Uh, I want to see what it's like to play uh, to have Zenigata be the hero of his story for the first time. Malcolm, I'm, I'm guessing you have the same answer, but maybe yeah. maybe not. No, I have the exact same answer. I said it earlier in the pod. Yeah, Zenigata, aka Pops, he's the best. Yeah, like you said, he's 
he's a very fun character. I like he's kind of like, you know, the idiot detective, but also like very earnest and like very like one man army kind of person. And yeah, I like the sort of the stages of grief he goes through after he captures Lupin in terms of just being like, wait, is my whole career over now? Like I captured the one person I was obsessed with. Like what now? Uh, and I just thought he was really fun. And it's great voice acting. Uh, I think we've covered all we can with him so far, but I'll also pass it on to Tyler. Have you guys ever seen Johnny English or The Pink Panther with Steve Martin? Oh, he totally reminded me of that. He adds so much comic relief. And I feel like after watching four episodes of this show, the thing that I came out with the most was how much I love Zenigata or Pops. He just adds so much, like I said, comic relief and just hilarity to this show. All right, he's I... just fun. He's just like a fun character, and like the thing mm-hmm. is, is, like what makes what this is like what this show is really interesting is that I wouldn't really even consider this like anime. Like the way there's like yeah ideas of what anime is, like this feels different. Like it is like it is just like different. Like just it's like a fun heist show that just happens to be animated. Like if this was like a half hour live action kind of you know comedic sitcom like you know, heist comedy, this would be still super fun. It's just like I agree different. With you there. I agree like, with you. I think there's also just the benefits of animation though. I think that's the thing. Cause there, there have been two live action loop on films and uh, neither were particularly successful. So oh, I, I think animation, like you al- allows you to go bigger in scope and like they can have more interesting set pieces that you wouldn't get necessarily when it would be live action, like comparative drawings. So um, so this, like, that is the advantage and you're like, oh yeah, you can do a lot more and be like, have a much more creative heist. I, I do feel this show is despite, despite its long running nature, which is obviously really intimidating for people. It was intimidating for me. I mean, the only reason I even watched the show was because a uh, friend of the pod, Sasha on our great pretender episode, he mentioned it. And I was like, well, I guess I should probably watch Lupin. And I'm really glad I did because yeah. The, the series, it, for one thing, it is very Western inspired. I think that's what helps makes it an easy sell for people who aren't necessarily into the more Japanese uh, anime stuff. You know, it's it's a fun heist show. There, some Lupin is really good, some is really bad. There's there's been a lot of it. The most recent Lupin work, I think, definitely, I think, start with part four. I think part four is a really good basis, and you'll kind of understand what these characters are at a core level. I absolutely yeah. agree. Like- I think what makes this so uh, fun is there's like this international element and I'm a sucker for like heist stuff that it features an international element. Like not too long ago, like uh, during the beginning of uh, COVID and like the lockdowns, like I went and I binged all of Netflix's money heist, which is a really excellent heist (laughs) show. Yeah. And highly recommend it for people who like, like Lupin, the great pretender looking for other heist stuff. Money Heist is almost perfect. Like, it's so, so good. Uh, and yeah, I'm just a sucker for that. Like, even like, even like stuff like, even like, you know, Michael Caine's The Italian Job, or even like the Mark Wahlberg Italian Job. Like, for whatever reason, I have a soft spot in my heart for that movie. And I don't know if it's just because I was so young when I watched it. And I liked, you know, the Mini Coopers driving around. You know, just, yeah, I'm always a sucker for heist movies. Like, even like one of my favorite films of all time is Inside Man, the Denzel Washington Clive Owen, yeah. like, Mike Lee joint, that, like, mm-hmm. they have a lot of really clever twists in that, and, yeah, and this is just, like, kind of continues that tradition, uh, but this one's, like, more global and just, like, plays up the fun, so. There was also a lot of separation in every episode. Each episode felt so different than the last, and you were never bored, like you guys were both saying, and I feel like the heist theme is the easiest part of this show to get into because it yeah right it doesn't feel like an anime it feels similar to the italian job inside man the town inspector gadget in some ways if you want to get uh yo that was what i was gonna guys i'm so glad you mentioned inspector gadget because inspector gadget was originally gonna be a lupon spinoff that's how it started it was gonna be lupon in the future and um oh wow things happen Things happened. They couldn't get the rights. And that's how Inspector Gadget happened. Thank you, Tyler, for mentioning that. So, yeah. yeah I love that. Like, of all the like, stuff that I wish they'd reboot, I feel like Inspector Gadget's something that should be rebooted soon. Like, it's just, it's such a fun character. And, like, I grew up really loving the cartoon, the Inspector uh, yeah. Gadget cartoon. And, like, you know, even though, like, Matthew Broderick was miscast 
as Inspector Gadget in the live action film when I was a kid. Oh, so uh, bad. He's he's still like I'm. What Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of my favorite films, so I'm always like a little mm-hmm. bit of a sucker for Matthew Broderick, even though he's like went from being like just kind of cool kid to like easily the most dorky adult uh, ever. <laughs> also, also, didn't he kill two people? What? He killed yeah. one. He he, 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 he was a car accident in Ireland. He was, he was in a car accident and he like he claimed in absentia and he only paid like a two hundred and fifty dollar fine for it. Yeah, Pretty I think that man. also destroyed him as a person. <laughs> like I think he yeah. never got over that. He's still getting voice acting jobs. He's in the recent uh, Secret Life of Pets. He's got a great voice okay. for it. He's also the uh, for Rick and Morty fans. He's the uh, that mysterious oh, yeah. cat. Uh, oh. You don't know much about, but he's like some fucked up cat in that um wonder, he's, really wonder if, that. he's also apparently a big done anime yeah he's also just a big musical theater guy so he's like always on broadway you guys should talk about inspector gadget i know it's not an anime but that'd be kind of a fun show that that would be maybe, maybe we need the gritty anime reboot of inspector gadget um, oh i'd watch hey, that listen, I, they're, I, they're doing a dark version of powerpuff girls so anything's possible Anyways, uh, I think that leaves us off on the last on our episode. I mean, any more final thoughts on Lupin? I, th- I think we I think we went to a lot of interesting places, uh, places I never expected to. This episode is sponsored by James Bond. <laughs> James Bond, Matthew Broderick, Persona Five, Spectre and Gadget, uh, and you know, in memory of the the two one or two people Matthew Broderick may have killed. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Oh man, so dark dark stuff man yeah um, and we aren't even talking about the dark lupon um but anyways any anyone got any more thoughts i'm good i think lupon's a great show guys uh it's fun you should watch it you should watch all the lupon uh castle of kegliostro is on netflix uh even if they don't have the best dub you can still watch its subtitles for the original script so uh tyler awesome. just for people uh who want to follow you obviously you talked you plugged your youtube channel at the top but are there any social media handles that you want people follow you at yeah absolutely so i'm also on instagram at tlc reviews so it's simply tlc r v i e w s uh, i also have twitter i don't have a lot of followers so feel free to follow me on twitter i don't post a lot there uh, i'm also on facebook but mostly just yeah, check out the youtube channel uh, as you can see i really really like to talk um very passionate about movies and film i've got stuff on uh, cobra kai and uh, I'm wanting to talk a little bit more, uh, do more like reaction videos in the future and things like that. So if you're a movie guy like I am, then feel free to check it out. TLC Reviews on YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Sweet. And uh, you can follow me at OnlyRealJackM on Twitter. And um, Jack is Jack on Insta. And you can follow us on at IsThisAnimePod. Uh, same handle on both Twitter and Insta. And Malcolm, where can they find you? And you can find me on Instagram at Malcolm RJ McLeod. Uh, I'm not super active on Twitter. I think I have an account, which is like the same handle, but I haven't done anything with it in a few years. Uh, I just kind of <laughs> hopped off that platform. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you uh, enjoyed this, uh, please feel free uh, share this. Uh, give us a review. Uh, give us some stars. That's the best way to help uh, boost us on the algorithms. Uh, obviously we're everywhere you can find podcasts and uh, Jack what's uh, next week's uh, episode next week's episode is gonna be we're finally covering uh, a film we've we've been really wanting to talk about for a long time but I kept pushing it back your name by uh, Makoto Shinkai it's a it's a really good film it was one of the highest grossing films in Japan until uh, the Demon Slayer movie recently uh, toppled it and pretty much everything else at the Japanese box office when it came to records once again a very different film it looks like we're going to be covering more movies that aren't bad, like uh, like Mass Effect on Andromeda, Paragon Lost, or whatever it was. Uh, Malcolm's being spared from bad things, uh, at least for the next little while on the schedule. Have you never seen Your Name, Malcolm? No, I haven't seen Your Name. It's uh, Dude, it's so phenomenal. Uh, that's um, all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, I, I've only heard good things. Like Since starting the podcast, yeah. it's something that's been uh, pitched to me a couple of times. I'm very looking forward to it, so... I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a fun episode. I'm, I always like talking about good things. So anyways, uh, I think this uh, about wraps up the episode. And uh, remember, uh, the Prince of England is a cock.
Thanks for having me, guys. What the fuck? <laughs> but I haven't started. What the fuck did we did we lose this episode? Oh no! Wait, what? No. Are you serious? Fuck. Let me let. I just typed in quick stop. Oh my god. I'm sorry, Tyler. I'm desperately oh, sorry. No. I, it, but he's in here. <laughs>